happy third week of January. What are we doing today? We are rolling up the third week of January. It is roll-ups time where we go through a whole entire week's worth of news in one single episode. Get that roll-up and inject it right into your brain. We go through the market. We talk about what the market is doing. Then we go through releases. What got released in the last week? Then we go through some news. Talk about what happened in this last week of news. And then we get into some ecosystem takes. And then we finally finish it off with what David and Ryan are excited about. Ryan, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited about a lot of things. Let's do this. All right. You want to start with markets, David? That's my favorite place to start anyway. So we have to start with Bitcoin price, but you know, mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about ETH price, but I'm going I'm to hold my excitement for a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's talk Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, coming off of a very volatile last week, the second week of January, where Bitcoin went from like $42,000 down to $30,000 up to $40,000. We're almost doing the same thing. Uh, Bitcoin is at $31,500 after touching $40,000 last week. Uh, so, you know, volatility is just keeping strong. Um, and so people are, people are getting a little bit bummed about this drop in prices, right, especially right after we touched Ether price. This is just how it goes, folks. This is, this is what the market does. Up and down, a little bit of chop in the bull market, nothing to worry about. Let's talk Ether. David, uh-huh. it finally happened. It finally broke its previous all-time high of $1,420 topped out at $1,440, which is awesome because we broke the all-time high, but kind of fucking lame because we only broke it by $20. Oh, I don't even care. I mean, so like I was told so many times during 2018, Mm -hmm. 2019, that this would never happen. And it just happened last week. I wish I could go back Mm -hmm. and like find all of the tweets that, that, you know, that said that this would never happen, that ether was dead, all of these things. Um, Pretty, pretty satisfying, I think, that, that Ether went all the way back from a 95% drop, came back, hit its all-time high. It's trading lower than that now. I don't really care. We hit the milestone, man. That's, that's what I wanted to see. And I think that's a great marker that this is the, the, the bear market or the bull market is in full effect. Where do you think things go from here? Uh, other than up and to the right, um, I think that we are in for some short-term chop, um, but the ball, the ball has been rolled down the hill and there's no stopping it. Right. Maybe, maybe some short-term chop in the next week or, uh, or a couple of weeks, but like people's attention are on this industry now. Like there, there's no stopping, stopping this from happening. Um, Anthony Sassano is out of jail now. Is this possible? This, en- this entire, this entire bump was, uh, engineered by Anthony. Is this possible <laughs> just to get him out of jail? Well, I did. I bought some ETH to explicitly try and help Anthony get out of jail. <laughs> okay. I know a few other people did. Anthony probably did too. Um, we will see how engineered this was, if it was engineered by Anthony or not. Of course, it wasn't really. Um, but I think well, very- what, what, what this really tells us is, I mean, for me, um, this is the power of a high conviction bet. Uh, Ryan, you and I totally believe that this day would come where ETH would break its previous all-time high. And I believe that even when Ether was $80, I believe that at $80 Ether, we would once again see $1,400 Ether. And then, and then we did. Shout out to the holders. Uh, you guys helped make this happen and um, you reap the rewards when things like this do happen. David, let's talk DeFi for a minute. So where are we hanging with the DeFi Pulse Index? 
at the time of recording, we are at $22.2 billion locked in DeFi. If we had recorded this a couple of days ago or even yesterday even, it would have been over $25 billion. I think it peaked out, yeah, at $25.2 billion. That is the highest number ever locked in DeFi. And the DPI also similarly topped out at, I think, $225 per DPI index token. Currently, it's hovering around $205. So DeFi tokens are coming along for this ride as well, though ETH kind of uh, took the uh, took the headlines mm -hmm. uh, earlier this week. Yeah, we were talking about holders, David, and Pantera put out this um, this a follow up report talking about the upside to holding Bitcoin as an asset, and you know it's similar to to ETH, though Bitcoin has a longer history. And here's the magic of it, David: in order to win at crypto. As long as you're buying assets like Bitcoin and Ether, all you have to do is hold. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. So any time period, if you held Bitcoin for at least three and a half years, you win. Mm -hmm. Like, and you win by a lot. That's mm -hmm. all you have to do. It sounds so simple. Why is it hard? Yeah, this is, this is what this report from Pantera is saying is there are zero people who have held Bitcoin for more than 3.5 years who are not in profit, right? And this is this actually kind of goes into how I think about some trades and some investments. You know, I'm not a trader. I don't really pay attention to the charts when I buy some assets like DeFi tokens that I want. And sometimes I buy at the wrong time because I bought into the hype and bought into the FOMO and then it drops. But like my, my, my personal bias, my personal um, rule of thumb is I never buy a token that I'm not willing to become a bag holder of. And the right. reason is because you can just hold your way out of the floor, right? You can just hold <laughs> your way out of the bear. So if, you're, if you have conviction about the asset and you're not a trader and you are an investor, holding is the secret to success in this crypto market. And what this report shows is that it's it, no one, zero people have been holders for more than three and a half years and are, and are not in profit with Bitcoin. And that's the maximum. That means it's probably even less amount of time for people to just hold through dips before they're in the profit. You know, it's crazy too. So this is a, a report that came out from uh, Vision Hill. What they, Vision Hill does is they provide a composite index of a whole bunch of crypto funds. So that the private crypto funds that you have to be an accredited investor to, to get in, they basically track their performance. You know what their performance was in, in 2020, David? I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and guess it's less than if they had just held. It was less than if they just held. <laughs> exactly. By a lot. Uh, by a lot. So, you know, you know, it depends on the funds. Different funds have different strategies, but uh, the composite index so kind of the, uh, the, the index behind the, the other indexes, if you put your funds in the average crypto hedge fund, you would have done well last year, 170% up, right? That's a great That's number. pretty good. Good number. Like be happy with that, I guess. <laughs> but if you just held Bitcoin and did nothing, you, you would do 425% up. Um, yeah. Actually, I think these numbers might be wrong. I think uh, Bitcoin right. was, was 360%. Okay, so... The numbers we have on the screen are wrong, but if you just held Bitcoin, you would have gotten 360%. If you held ETH, all you did was hold ETH, you would have done 425% up. So holding Bitcoin, holding ETH in 2020, you would have outperformed all of the geniuses in their crypto hedge funds, maybe not all of them, but the average, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have incurred any fees. So mm -hmm. these hedge funds charge a 20%, 20 to 30% annual performance fee on the profits, plus 2% annualized, no fees, holding Bitcoin, holding Ether, you would have outperformed them. Like, 
it's not only that you're going to be profitable on a holding strategy for any any time period greater than than three and a half years. You're actually going to outperform mm-hmm. most crypto hedge funds uh, on that on that time horizon. This is why on the Bankless program we talk about the value of the crypto monies, specifically ETH and BTC. They are the the benchmarks for this whole entire industry, and this also illustrates why it's so powerful to actually practice the, the, like crypto and DeFi and Ethereum is a skill and self-custody is one of those first skills that you learn. And if you gave up bothering to learn that self-custody skill and instead just went to the funds to and just exported your responsibility of researching and, and learning and getting your hands dirty, if you just didn't bother to do that, you lost all out on like two to three X more gains than you would have if you had learned to buy and hold the crypto monies, the Bitcoin and Ether and do it yourself. That's that's the cost of not actually teaching yourself the skills to be in crypto. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Holding is a skill too. Last thing I'll say in this, I, I had a friend who came to me in, in 2018 and he said, well, you know, give me some advice, which I buy. I talked about Bitcoin and Ether. He went out and bought Ether. He bought it at like $500, right? Um, and 2019, and I and my, my, my advice was basically, hey, if you're doing this, you got to buy and hold for five to 10 years, right? Okay, like that's it. Just don't touch it, but buy and hold for five to 10 years. And he texted me in, in 2019 and he was like, oh, so this is going well. So his $500 ETH had dropped to like, you know, the low hundreds. Uh, and then it turns out he sold it, <laughs> you know, like this is the thing. It's it holding is also a skill that you need to develop as part of your crypto investment strategy. And you have to you have to learn how to ignore the volatility and and look at the long look at the long term uh, on this on this thing. So if you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat in your bank account and any token on Uniswap or even any vault in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes. And after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io. That's D-H-A-R-M-A.io. Download the Dharma app and get yourself unbanked today. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. 
Ave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Ave at Ave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Um, David, fundamentals, while we're talking about it, let's talk about this, this thread from Spencer Noon. There's 11 signs, he says, that ETH is going to blow past its all-time high. This is a thread all about fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Which, which fundamentals do you want to pick out of this thread, David? Well, of course, we have to mention fees. We really enjoy the fee metric on the Bankless program because of how ungameable it is. There's no better way to prove that there is demand for a blockchain by, illust- by showing how much money people are willing to pay to use it. Uh, according to this uh, screen, screen cap that uh, Spencer took, you know, the last seven days of fees for Ethereum was $7.2 million, seven-day average. Bitcoin was $4.3 million. And then even Uniswap, an application on Ethereum, collected $2 million worth of fees. These are big numbers. Yeah, absolutely. A few other things. The number of ETH transactions, uh, it, this is, it's, he says, is 7x smaller than its 2018 gain, uh, all-time highs. And so he says, this is a sign that whales and institutions still haven't entered the game. What's he saying here, David? Yeah, he's saying that uh, it's still kind of retail that is playing in Ethereum that, you know, there's a large amount of ETH. uh, There aren't large amounts of ETH moving on chain, which means there aren't yet big buyers. I I guess you could actually interpret this bearishly. That's probably (laughs) if I was a Bitcoin maxi, I would say like, oh, like institutions aren't aren't buying ETH. Uh, And perhaps that's bearish or perhaps that's an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. He goes through a few more hash rate. Ethereum active addresses. I, I generally like Ethereum active addresses. These are ETH addresses. ETH addresses are almost like bank accounts. And um, right now, that figure of Ether active addresses has doubled year to date and is now its all time high. So the bank accounts on the Ethereum network are using the network more than they ever have. We hit all time mm-hmm. high on that fundamental metric too. Yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing more bullish to me than more and more people using Ethereum as their banking layer. Yeah, it's supposed to be for. He goes through he goes through a number of DeFi users, uh, total locked value in DeFi, all of these things, stable coins, all of these metrics that we report out. So lots of fundamental reasons to be bullish as well. Um, I saw this report from Fundstrat too, David. So Fundstrat is. Um, kind of a group that uh, appears on MSNBC quite a bit. This is sort of a mainstream finance um, group. And they just put out a price prediction for ETH of over 10K. So it's starting to leak into mainstream finance circles too. What do you think about this number? Yeah, I, I, like I want to know how some of these uh, funds and entities come up with their price predictions. They made a specific prediction of ten thousand five hundred dollars. I want to know where that five thousand came from or five hundred came from. <laughs> yes. Um, that, but you know, the ten k meme is getting exported out of the inner circles of Ethereum into the greater world of people that are interested in investing in crypto assets. You know, fair enough. I haven't read the full report, but this line stuck out at me. So uh, the person who wrote this report said, um, "Blockchain computing." maybe the future of the cloud the future of the cloud so like what are we talking about here i don't know what that means (laughs) oh man i would like to know what what that individual meant so price predictions coming out at over 10k but it's not clear to me that that mainstream finance actually understands what ethereum is yet or what ether as an asset is they're just they're just bullish for some reason if they did understand it they'd probably be a higher valuation 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's market, David. Let's get into releases. So, do you want to start with this first one? Yeah, M Stable, which is a uh, literally called a, a meta stable coin, where you know there's so many different stable coins on Ethereum. M Stable is a project that kind of offers a new uh, stable coin on Ethereum using a basket of other stable coins on Ethereum. Uh, hence the meta. Uh, they are launching their MUSD Save, kind of like a vault feature. It's like a high yield savings account. Um, pretty cool for people who are trying to access yield in DeFi while also controlling for their own risk. More and more yield opportunities in DeFi for sure. And have you kept up with the second one? Saddle raised 4.3 million for a slippage-free DeFi trading. That's that's sort of the headline. But Saddle is basically it's a fork of a stablecoin automated market maker in AMM called Curve. That's mm-hmm. really popular, um, very well used. The Saddle forked some of their code. Apparently, rewrote the code. Uh, what is interesting about this story? Do you think, David? Yeah, I don't. I actually don't know the competitive differentiator between Saddle and Curve. I do know that there is plenty of room for more than just one version of a DeFi application. I think that's what Sushi Swap uh, proved out that you know not just Uniswap is going to dominate the the AMM market. And I think this is the same thing with Curve and, and Saddle. Saddle's saying like you know Curve is great, but I think we can do something in here as well. And there's plenty of space for more than just one protocol to offer the same same product. They had a bit of a rocky start with some issues at launch, uh, but we will see how it plays out. Certainly more competition is better for DeFi users. The one thing I'll say on this to you, David, is it does seem like there's this dichotomy for for many protocols where you have sort of a a VC-backed version and a more crypto community-led version, right? Yeah, and so for for almost every protocol, you have both of those strategies being deployed. so mm-hmm. we'll see how that turns out with Saddle. Loop Ring has been on a tear lately. This is one of the the shippiest teams in in crypto right now. They're just <laughs> constantly shipping. Shipping. That is the. I've never heard that adjective before. I love it. Oh, never. You've never heard that adjective. I use shippiest? it all the time. <laughs> I have never heard shippiest. All right. Well, what are they shipping? Yeah. So Loop Ring, an L2 uh, scaling mechanism for Ethereum with AMMs on it, so exchange functionality, um, and an and a, and a, a order-based DEX as well, uh, has uh, put their product, their app into the Google Play Store. Um, you know, not the actually not not the most revolutionary thing. You know, we're not we're not trying to infiltrate Google Play Store. That's not really at the goal of Ethereum. But we do need people to download applications like Loopring, like MetaMask, like Argent on onto people's phones. The difference with this Loopring app is it is a direct integration into a smart contract wallet on Loopring's L2. So people people who download the Loopring app are having their first interaction with Ethereum on an L2, right? And so to make an Argent wallet, uh, it costs like $40 worth of gas that actually Argent pays because if the user just downloads Argent, they don't have any ether. Uh, so the, the Argent team pays for that gas uh, to deploy their smart contract wallet onto the L1. And then also transactions on Ethereum using Argent are actually more gas intensive because it's a smart contract wallet. We actually just recorded a podcast with Vitalik talking about um, social recovery and L2. And we go into details about this. That podcast is coming out in a few weeks. Um, But what Vitalik is bullish on is smart contract wallets on the L2. And that's what Loopring has rolled out here today. This is great news because it means Argent's going to go there next. And so are the other smart contract wallets. I'm really excited about this. Uh, speaking of being excited, ETH2 has been going pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to use the word flawlessly, but there hasn't been a, a hiccup 
since network launch. When did we launch? Back in December, right? right. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're closing in on two months uh, of like it just working well. <laughs> Danny Ryan. Per- no news is good news at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I've almost, like almost forgotten that it's there, right? Um, things. Um, well, it's continuing to accrue new ETH. I don't mm-hmm. know, it's 2.6 billion, something yep. like that, total mm-hmm. ETH staked. So mm-hmm. it's just humming right along. And Danny Ryan put together a fantastic report that uh, we'll, we'll add to the notes that you can go uh, take a look at and, uh, and, and see what's, what's new there. David, let's talk about this one. We're speaking about rollups in layer two. Optimism mm-hmm. has just launched on mainnet with synthetics. What's going on here? Yeah, the long-awaited optimistic flavor of rollups, the one of two flavors of rollups that this whole entire Ethereum ecosystem is bullish on, gets their soft launch onto the Ethereum L1. Synthetics is the team pioneering the usage of this new Optimism L1. Uh, And so, you know, Ethereum is just scaling in all directions. Look at this graphic. Looks like crypto utopia right there. It's just on the horizon. It's what the Optimism team says. We'll see. Coinbase is doing some much needed infrastructure work. What is this story about? Yeah, Coinbase is famous for going down all the time, uh, especially last bull cycle during 2016 and 2017. Coinbase would crash all the time. I th- kind of would figured that they would have fixed this by now, but turns out like Coinbase is continuing to crash all the time. They had three three plus years to figure this out. Turns out they didn't. Um, but now they just released a statement saying that they are going to quote unquote figure this out by kind of compartmentalizing some of their back end infrastructure. Uh, probably should have done this a few years ago, Coinbase. Like, what, what, what were you doing during the bear market? <laughs> well, maybe they are just like uh, surprised by all of the demand, you know, in this bull market. So I guess that's good. It's always a good sign when Coinbase is crashing during the bull market, I guess, for price. I guess. <laughs> I, guess. I don't know. Question mark. Um, what's going on with Urine here, too? I was told that Urine had a 30K cap that they weren't going to issue any more tokens, but it turns out they're issuing tokens. Why are they doing this? What are they doing? Uh, this is just a proposal, so this is not finalized. However, there has been growing conversation about how to fund uh, Wyern's developers, right? And one of the ways that we could do this is by just minting the protocol token. Many other DeFi protocols like Aave have done this. Uniswap has like a, a $500 million treasury of uni tokens that they can use for development. Wyern doesn't have that because it committed to that 30 million, uh, no, 30,000 YFI token cap, which it's now trying to perhaps walk back on. I mean, maybe that $30,000 or 30,000 unit meme is actually not the best thing for the protocol. And especially there is some, uh, some, some incentive alignment uh, friction between the developers and the token holders that they are hoping this mint can help solve. Um, and so they are, they are just looking to, to fund development. And personally, I think, it's, I think we should absolutely make sure that all Wyern developers are correctly incentivized to build for Wyern. Just, uh, I, I think the, my personal opinion is that uh, keeping ourselves locked into that $30,000 hard, hard cap just for the meme is a disservice to the people that are actually uh, adding value to Wyern. So you're not mad about this? I'm, I'm not mad about this. You know, it's funny is uh, fair launches are easy, but like governance post fair launch is hard, you know, is I think what the community is finding out. Um, it's easy to issue a token. It's hard to build a product. Right. If, if Wyern 
if Wi-Fi was trying to be a money, like a Bitcoin or an Ether, this would be an absolute no, right? But this is more of a capital asset. And the, the truth of the matter is they didn't have a way to fund their protocol development. It reminds me kind of of the, uh, the synthetics pivot. Remember we talked to, with, with, with Kane and originally uh, they were planning to issue synthetics according to the, the Bitcoin uh, schedule. Happening <laughs> every four years. Happening every four years. Just because, why? Just because that was... Because of a meme. that was popular. You thought mm-hmm. you had to do that. And then when they finally started thinking about it and scratching their heads, they're like, no, we should be yeah. issuing a coin to reward the activity we want in our protocol, which is liquidity. So let's go do that. And it turned out very well for them. So as long as you're not competing as a money, this sort of thing is not necessarily bad, but it is interesting how these communities are governing themselves. David, last thing, we had Lynn Alden on the podcast Post our podcast, maybe partially in response to some of the questions she raised, she put out a phenomenal piece. I thought it was good anyway, um, about Ether as an asset. And it's um, not necessarily that she was bearish, but she felt generally that Ether and Ethereum were not ready for primetime investment yet would be maybe my take on it. Uh, We have a related response. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, when Lynn Alden writes a piece, and she put time and energy into that that piece, the economic analysis of Ethereum, uh, and when I, and I do not believe that Lynn Alden was just like contributing to the BTC maxi dogpile on Ethereum. I think that was a, an open invitation for her to gain more insight and understanding for her own benefit. You know, she put her rationale down onto paper as an invitation for the Ethereum community to respond. And, and you know, she I think she wants to be convinced. She just needs to be convinced. Uh, and so I took the time as well as Lucas. And, and we also made this open to just the general Bankless Nation community to help contribute. And so we've gone through some of Lynn Alden's arguments and, and formulated our own responses to them. Uh, and I don't think Lynn Alden Alden is anti-ETH or anti-Ethereum. She is just a macro investor. And let's let's be real here. The market cap of Ether is $160 billion. That doesn't show up on macro radar. Like that's that's small. That's tiny. Yeah, it's um, just starting to show up. Absolutely. So where can people find this response, David, at the time that you know, we're publishing this? Yeah, that this, uh, this we are recording this on Thursday. That article, this re- response is also going out on Thursday. That's today. So for listeners, it was yesterday. You'll be able to find that at newsletter.banklisshq.com. All right, man. That's that's exciting. I'm glad for that to go out. Good. Just continue the dialogue with Lynn, right? Um, all right. News. Goldman Sachs. I've heard of these guys. They're bankers somewhere, right? Um, they're <laughs> entering the crypto market, quote, soon with a custody play. I feel like I've heard this from Goldman Sachs before. And probably the last time was the, the last bull run. There were murmurs of Goldman like opening trading desks and getting into custody. Maybe it's for real this time. <laughs> it's funny to see banks flooding back into this space. Yeah, custody is the uh, low-hanging fruit first stop shop for somebody like Goldman Sachs to get exposure into this world. Just learning how to hold it for their customers is kind of how they get their foot in the door. Um, I, I believe it. The the difference between 2017 and 2020 custody plays is there's actually a lot more opportunity for custody plays. We saw um, PayPal purchase BitGo a while ago uh, as a custody uh, play, um, and and then all the other like custody plays, all the other uh, protocols protocols and or not protocols teams and companies and startups that were custody based got really excited because like oh you know paypal just bought um, bitgo who else is coming to buy you know my company my my custody play and and i think that's kind of what we are seeing play out there's a lot more options for uh, companies like goldman sachs to just buy a custody play 
I think uh, what may have happened with Bitco is, uh, if I recall, that deal may have fallen through. I'm not actually sure, but oh, certainly, really? yeah, certainly PayPal was t- in in talks about buying Git- Bitco, and then something broke down the last minute, if I'm recalling correctly. But yeah, I I totally agree. Custies makes sense to start from a banking perspective. I have a bit more respect for for banks like uh, Fidelity that were also here during the bear market. Goldman to me feels a little bit like a like a, a fair market entrant. Well, things are good. We're going to go enter, of course. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fidelity's been building this stuff since yep. 2014. Uh, anyway, it's good to see some more competition in that area. Speaking of that, the world's largest asset manager is a firm called BlackRock. They have billions in assets under management like Excuse me, I said billions. But what I meant was trillions with a T. Trillions with a T. That's crazy. Um, They just produced some filings, some SEC filings that suggest that they are looking to buy, possibly buy big into crypto, specifically into Bitcoin. Is this a big deal? Yeah, I'm not sure how much speculation this is or just like reporters or investigators connecting the dots behind BlackRock filings, but... What's going on here is apparently BlackRock is doing all the filings that it needs to do in order to compliantly put Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Um, And so, I mean, the timing is fitting, like there's plenty of mania and excitement about this space. So that would make sense. Uh, If BlackRock is putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, like there's no better signal, like, you know, Druckenmiller, that's great. Like, you know, uh, Raul Paul, that's great. Like, you know, uh, Ray Dalio talking about Bitcoin, that's great. This is BlackRock. There's no more like bigger of an institution after this. Like this is the top. This is the (laughs) biggest institution. Uh, If they're putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, like everyone should be paying attention to that. Yep. They do not make them any bigger. David, let's switch to this. So this is uh, Biden administration stuff. It looks like Janet Yellen is going to become Treasury Secretary, so replacing Steve Mnuchin. And she's get, given some some remarks lately mm-hmm. uh, that might get into the agenda here. But let's talk about the first. The first thing is she said that the U.S. must act big on the next coronavirus relief package. What does acting big mean? Mm-hmm. Money printer go burr. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Um, this is okay. pretty, pretty expected out of what we, we expected out of the Biden administration. We always knew that Biden uh, was going to be very um, uh, favorable towards reliefs, uh, relief packages, right? They, they want to put money into the hands of the people. Um, that's kind of, in my opinion, the, the value prop behind the, the Democratic Party was that they are pro-relief and they want to get cash into the economy more than the Republicans did. Uh, and so this is them fulfilling those promises. All right. And this Janet Yellen backing it up. And at the same time, she was calling for more money printing, if you will. Uh, she was also saying that cryptocurrencies are a concern. What are they a concern for? Terrorist financing. Classic boomer statement out of Janet <laughs> Yellen here saying, let's let's turn on the money printer and get relief into the hands of the people. At the same time, uh, let's also pr- like restrict or, or stop as much of that money going into Bitcoin. Like that's kind of the what I'm getting at is is they are the, the the Federal Reserve, the Federal Chair, the U.S. dollar is trying to get printed so it can put itself into the hands of the people. Yet at the same time, if people just take those dollars and buy Bitcoin with it, it's that's bad. And so I feel like this is what this is what Janet Yellen is trying to get in front of. 
Yeah, it's very difficult to know whether this is coming from like sort of the the state uh, we you know we want to surveil all transactions kind of prong of things, or whether this is just a, a fear that something like the U.S. could lose its reserve currency status. Maybe maybe both of those things simultaneously. I thought Mike Dudas had a great response to this on Twitter because it's such a fallacy. This the, I thought this mostly died in 20, 2015 and twenty sixteen. Quite honestly, David, the narrative that like crypto and Bitcoin were only for terrorist activities and money laundering. Like that died way back then, because since that time, we produced a ton of data. This is a chain analysis. They actually produce data for big government agencies and less than a percent, 0.34% of cryptocurrency activity in 2020 was criminal in nature, according to their report. That's a whole lot less than cash money in briefcases. Like the US dollar as cash is a far better tool for terrorists and money launderers than cryptocurrency is. Yeah. And, and this kind of just goes to show that anyone that says like, that crypto is used for terrorist financing or just illicit activities has some sort of bias or ulterior motive. Either Janet Yellen is naive and she is just touting off the first statement about Bitcoin that comes to her mind, or she has ulterior motives, which is protecting the brand and the value of the US dollar. My opinion is it's the second. We always seem to see, David, these same like headwinds and tailwinds coming out of the government, like some things that are bullish for crypto and some things that are bearish simultaneously. It's interesting to see how that will evolve with this new administration. Um, Coinbase is making moves as well. We were talking about Coinbase earlier. They just purchased Bison Trails. What's Bison Trails? Bison Trails is a node operation service, kind of a, they're also be, uh, probably going to be massive players in the staking as a service industry, which I guess Coinbase is now uh, gaining exposure to that as well. Um, Bison Trails, if you want to stake your Ether using Bison Trails, you can stake your 32 Ether with them in a non-custodial fashion. Uh, I used to be privy to the details as how that works. If you want to stake your Ether and also retain custody, but not run your own node, Bison Trails would be for you. They also do nodes and, and node services for basically all other meaningful blockchains. And now they are owned by Coinbase. Guys, this is a signal that crypto banks are definitely going to get into staking in a big way. David, let's breeze through these last ones. Uh, Soldier Boy is tweeting about you. NFTs. <laughs> How exciting <laughs> is that? Wow. Um, maybe we get Soldier Boy on Bankless at some point. Would we take that interview, sir? I think we would. I think we would. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a big fan of Soldier Boy in middle school, so I'm not going to pass that that opportunity up. <laughs> All right. I, I think this just shows the resonance between creators and NFTs. I think the yep. value proposition of NFTs is extremely obvious for creators like Soldier Boy. I think that's the head. Yeah. What's, what's so funny is, so the, this, this tweet originated from, um, he, he asked like, should I release my own crypto or something like that? And people are like, no, don't do that. You'll get in trouble. Remember 2017 when Paris Hilton, blah, 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 all these celebrities tried to release tokens. He's like, oh, okay. And somebody was like, yeah, but you should check out NFTs. And he was like, okay. Obvious answer. I'm releasing an NFT. So what's going to happen? This market is like, you know, we talked so much about fractal patterns and how history rhymes, but doesn't repeat. Right. So mm -hmm. like 2017, all the celebs wanted to, to release a crypto token. Right. 2021, right. this bull market, it's going to be all NFTs, my friend. I think that's how it's going to work. Much stronger product market fit. The, the, it just makes so much more sense. We don't need a currency per celebrity. However, celebrities are fine to make art because that's kind of what they do in already. Yeah, perfectly legal.
Um, all right, Pax Gold. So this is a token on Ethereum. They re they reached over a hundred million in market cap. Super bullish on tokenization of all of the things, including gold. And also this last headline, Pornhub just added a whole bunch of other cryptocurrency <laughs> to their payment options. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. The, it's the tokens that they added, which is what's interesting to me. They added XRP, Ripple, uh, Binance Coin, BNB Coin, and Doge, and also USDC. Um, I, I think it's going to be the USDC coin that gets used the most. Uh, but you know, it's uh, who knows, like in that order, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Indeed, people just want to get rid of some of their other coins. I guess this is a way to do that. David, yeah, I'll, I'll trade some some XRP for some porn. That's probably you have XRP. <laughs> That's no, the bigger if, headline. If, if oh my I, god! No, if I did, oh, uh, okay. it would be a good trade to trade it for porn. <laughs> Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto back in 2017, and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni, and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and honor off-ramp services that I've needed to on a moment's notice. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it to. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry-leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after signup, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out, gemini.com slash go bankless. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is a one-two punch of both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet everywhere where Visa is accepted. When you swipe your Monolith Visa card at the grocery store or at a restaurant, it actually makes a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain that spends some of the money you hold in your Monolith wallet. It's insanely cool and it's one of the best tools out there for living a bankless but still normal life. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if you ever need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet, so your money is never held by a centralized intermediary. Because Monolith is native Ethereum infrastructure, the money you hold in your Monolith wallet still has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. Go to monolith.xyz and sign up to get your Monolith Visa card today. Okay, uh, takes. Let's start with the first one. This is one from a guy named David Hoffman on Twitter. Yeah. If you should yeah, follow that guy. Smart guy. Uh, he says take? that Ethereum is a bet that the future is going to be different. What do you think uh, he means? Yeah, what does he mean? I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, my interpretation of this tweet <laughs> is that, you know, Ethereum is a revolutionary piece of technology and it's doing a little, it's offering an alternative 
mechanism or vehicle to do almost every single in previous industry differently, either a little bit differently or a lot differently. And then it also offers totally brand new things to the table. Uh, I think we are, it's, uh, it's obvious to that to, to people and to listeners that the world is changing. The world is changing really, really rapidly. And I think in a world that is changing rapidly, Ethereum offers, you know, ways to capture that change. You know, Ethereum is a bet that the world is going to be different. Yeah, definitely. It's probably a good bet. One, one, one thing I'd also say here is like some people think Bitcoin is a bet that the world's going to be bad in the future. Like the world's going to fall apart in the future, right? The whole Bitcoin Citadel idea. Ethereum is not necessarily a bet that the world's going to fall apart. I mean, I think it can thrive and do well if the f world far falls apart, but it can also do well if we have a roaring 20s era, right? Like, so it's not necessarily a doomsday asset in the way that some paint Bitcoin as, which I think is interesting on that tweet as well. That reminds um, me of one of my favorite quotes from Amin Soleimani, uh, Bitcoin in times of war, Ethereum in times of peace. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. Speaking of Pornhub, Amin Soleimani. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Breaking. Uh, breaking. ETH global hackers are now called money mechanics. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? What's a money mechanic? This is an outgrowth of Brian Brooks' uh, self-driving banks uh, meme, which is, again, the most boomer meme for understanding DeFi I've ever heard of. Yet, I think it's going to go miles with trying to get people's heads wrapped around what the hell this thing going on in DeFi is. And so if we are going to adopt the term of DeFi is self-driving banks, that makes all DeFi money Lego builders, people building on Ethereum, money mechanics. I like it. Wow, going miles. I like what you did there, David Hoffman. Nice, nice, nice pun job. Uh, all right, this is from Spencer Noon. This is a another take that uh, we thought was interesting. He says he has no idea on how to value ETH. Uh, why is that a good thing, David? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is an extension of the triple point asset thesis, right? Where the triple point asset thesis believes that, uh, and you know, if anyone can find an asset that fits into all three asset superclasses earlier than ETH, uh, that would be news to me. Uh, the triple point asset thesis is that, that there are three asset superclasses, store value, capital assets, and consumable assets. And Ether is the only asset that fits into all three categories. We've never seen this before. And I think what Spencer Noon here is saying, like he has no idea how to value ETH because it just breaks all previous paradigms. It breaks all previous models. Uh, and I think I, I requoted this, uh, this tweet and said, you know, valuing ETH breaks the calculator. Uh, I think it's bullish that we don't know how to value ETH. That's that to me, that just means that the sky's the limit. Yeah. Other people have put it this way, like assets like Bitcoin and Ether, they can be priced, but not valued. So ultimately it is this pricing supply and demand uh, mechanic. And what is the, uh, the top on these assets? It's a big question mark. We can only yeah. guess. There are, no top. No All top. right. Um, David, this was a really good take. This is kind of a tweet and also an article from Joss, Stark and Evan Van Ness. So every year they do this. What do they do every year? They give us a recap of Ethereum in that year. It's one of the most valuable pieces of just just articles that comes out every single year. If you want to get reminded what's happened in Ethereum in this last year, which I mean, there's a ton. Uh, Josh and Evan, they always produce this article. It's always a nice recap of the year in Ethereum. Yeah, here's my takeaway. This was their first point. They had four points, but the, the first point was interesting is bigger than Bitcoin. So they made the statement that Ether, Ethereum specifically eclipsed Bitcoin, the network. 
as the blockchain with the most valuable block space. And they brought the data to prove that total transaction volume on Ethereum wow. for the first time in 2020 exceeded that of Bitcoin. So that means uh, transaction settlements as denominated in US dollars. So settlements of Ether certainly helped that. All of the DeFi assets, also stable coins were a big part of that story. So more value is getting settled on Ethereum than versus Bitcoin now for the first time. And that, uh, that line between them, kind of that gap between them continues to increase in an accelerated yeah. way. Um, also daily transaction volume. So this is revenue essentially. So this is how much are people willing to pay for block space essentially? Bitcoin has always been higher than Ethereum, like always. People were more willing to pay for Bitcoin blocks versus um, Ethereum blocks. And now that's changed in 2020. So for the first time, people are there, there's greater demand, greater value and fees being generated from Ethereum versus Bitcoin. It's funny that that was a that that's been a metric that Bitcoin maximalists specifically mm -hmm. um, have talked about like forever. Mm -hmm. Fee generation that proves that your block space is valuable. Yeah, how much fees are you generating XRP or like you know Bitcoin Cash or whatever whatever blockchain? Well now. Ethereum is generating more fees. It there's, a, also, there's a pretty decent argument that could be made that the amount of fees that your blockchain pulls in relative to its block space is perhaps the number one metric that indicates the hardness or the soundness of the money on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is an important metric for Bitcoin in the future because its security will ultimately depend on the fees it generates from its block space. Um, so a flippening, I, I suppose, from a, a network perspective, from a, a block space perspective this year, but we have not seen a flippening in asset value in, in market cap of Bitcoin versus Ether. And uh, we'll see if that plays out in the future. Some people believe it could play out this cycle. I'm not sure. What do you think, David? Oof, this cycle would be tough. I would be surprised. Um, however, I would be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this is from Hayden Adams. Uniswap is doing 2% of the New York Stock Exchange. That seems to be the new- 2% of the volume specifically. Of the volume specifically. And he asked the question, I love this. I love this energy from Hayden. Come on the podcast, Hayden. Uh, <laughs> he asked the question, when 100%, right? So like, mm -hmm. he when will Uniswap match the New York stock, stock Exchange in volume? Dude, to me, it's only a matter of time. It's and only a matter like, of time. That's Uniswap, not that far away. Uniswap may not be the category winner here. Like that also remains to be seen. But if it's not Uniswap, then it's going to be some DeFi, mm -hmm. DeFi protocol that does. It's, 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 it's coming this decade. Mm -hmm. in, in this cycle, maybe Uniswap doesn't match uh, the New York Stock, Stock Exchange in volume, but I bet you I, with much more certainty that all exchanges on Ethereum do totally. Like if you include Curve and SushiSwap and all the other AMMs, uh, I bet you that definitely uh, breaches 100% of the volume on the New York Stock Exchange. There you go, prediction. Was that included in your predictions, David, for 2020? It is now. 21? All right, there you go. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh, the last question, we'll, we'll end on this with takes, and then we'll get to what we're both individually excited about. The question of, have we earned this all-time high with Ethereum right now? Have we earned the all-time high with, with uh, Bitcoin? This, this comes from a, a you know, quote that Vitalik made 
near the the apex of the bull market in 2017. Yeah, December 12th, 2017. Yeah, right before all-time highs. Yeah, he said uh, market cap just hit half a trillion dollars today, but have we earned it? And his implication was, no, we haven't earned it. There's a lot of vapor here. The question on everyone's mind, I think, is this time, as we're seeing uh, the market cap exceed this, has crypto earned it? What's your answer to that? Yeah, I mean, if something has earned something is always a subjective uh, question or so, yeah, and we'll, we'll obviously take a subjective answer. Uh, one thing is is worthy of noting is that when Vitalik tweeted that in December of 2017, there was nothing uh, that we do on a daily basis today back then, right? There wasn't even MakerDAO. MakerDAO wasn't even launched at that time. There was no DeFi. There was CryptoKitties and then there were ICOs. So it was obvious that we did not earn it back then. Um, I think it's totally justifiable to say that we have earned it. We're actually, uh, the, the crypto market cap is actually 2X higher than what Vitalik said. Vitalik said half a trillion. We're, our, we're above a trillion dollars right now. Um, but absolutely, we've earned it. Yeah, totally. Like DeFi is a real product. It's a got product market fit. And Bitcoin, uh, we don't even need to talk about Bitcoin. Like money printer go burr means that Bitcoin is justified. There's no Denticoin this time around. There's no BitConnect this time around. It feels much more healthy. But I got to say, David, I'm going to be looking for that tweet from Vitalik this cycle too, because he basically called the top last cycle in December because by January, everything mm -hmm. was on kind of the the, the decline, January, yep. February. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yep. All right, David, let's get to this. What are you excited about, my friend, this week? So one of my favorite podcasts that actually has taught me a ton about just finance and economics before I got into the realm of crypto was the Planet Money podcast. And they just released a podcast that was a rerun of a podcast that they'd done before. But the reason why they re-released this podcast was because the Biden administration just got elected and people wanted to ask the question or get the answer to the question, how are they funding all of their COVID relief uh, mechanisms, right? They are, the Biden administration has a ton of relief mechanisms, a ton of money going out. And so Planet Money put out this rerun of this What the Hell is MMT podcast that they produced, I think, in 2017, 2018. And so like, this is just an example, kind of in the same way that we look out for examples of crypto breaking into the mainstream, MMT, modern monetary theory, the theory that the central bank or the currency issuer, which is the United States, can't be insolvent because they can print new money. The MMT is making is breaking its way into the mainstream. I'm excited to see how that lands with people. Like, how are people going to integrate MMT into their brains now that the Biden administration is just like, you know, making it rain COVID relief all over the United States? Yeah, anytime people start thinking about money, I think is definitely bullish for Bitcoin and Ethereum and for crypto in general. And nothing like receiving a you know $2,000 check to, to start thinking about where the source of this comes from and then like what actually is money, the nature of money. So I definitely agree that, that that's cool. What else are you excited about? Yeah, the other thing I'm excited about is uh, this last week we saw Optimism roll out on mainnet Ethereum. We were, we were seeing Loopring roll out their smart contract wallet on their L2. Uh, we all, obviously, there are over 2 million ETH uh, in the deposit contract, over $2 billion committed to the future of ETH2. Um, and that's that's all part of proof of stake. So many Ethereum, anti-Ethereum narratives are just getting the, the last nails and just pounded into the coffin. Like Ethereum 2 is shipping. Ethereum is scaling. Uh, proof of stake is here. 
uh, that's only going to continue. And especially as so much new attention comes into this space, like they aren't, they aren't going to be thinking like, what is the execution risk of Ethereum 2.0? Because it's so close, right? It's the, and all the other commitments that Ethereum as an ecosystem and as a technology has committed to are being fulfilled. And so the, these new people who are trying to get a grasp for what the hell is going on in the space aren't ever going to go through that, will Ethereum actually work phase? They're, they are going to see it working and, and delivering as promised. And that's got me really excited. Yeah, absolutely. A lot has been delivered during this bear market on Ethereum that like the previous bull market, previous cycle, uh, we didn't know for sure whether, whether this stuff was going to come through or not. So uh, well positioned for sure. Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm excited about a new meme or a new narrative. So, you know, you were talking oh, about- Ryan's cooking up a meme, boys. Cooking up a meme, <laughs> get ready. Um, you were talking about like a lot of the FUD. There's one last sort of fear- Hang on, Ryan, sorry. Ryan, sorry, let's start you over because my internet was was um, unstable. You were just okay. got super robotic. You were saying uh, you were talking about, and then I lost you. Okay. Um, do you want to just ask me the question again? Or yeah. sure. Okay. Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm excited about a new meme, my friend. I'm cooking up a new meme. Ryan's got a meme coming. Memes yep. in the oven. <laughs> Meme, memes in the oven. We'll see if it takes or not. You know, who knows? But um, you were talking about the the fear, uncertainty, and doubt with with Ethereum and how a lot of that's dissipated. There, there's one FUD point remaining and that is around Ether the asset. So people still like to say, uh, yeah, Ethereum's great, but um, Ether the asset won't accrue any of the value of Ethereum, right? Um, so I think that narrative is going to shift. I was reading Danny Ryan's point that which we post uh, about the roadmap for ETH2 that we mentioned earlier and made me think of, of the positioning for the roadmap for Ether the asset, right? So we talk so often that there's a roadmap for Ethereum the network, but there's also a roadmap for Ether the asset. And here's how you can understand it. Three words, bond, burn, bend. We get our three Bs, all right? Three Bs. Um, Tell us three about them. Bs. This is, okay, 2020 was bond. This is the release of staking. This is Ether as an internet bond. This turns Ether into a productive yield-bearing instrument. 2020, bond, okay? 2021, burn. We are going to be releasing EIP 1559 very likely in 2020. That is Ethereum's scarcity engine. That means all of this block space that's so highly valued and generating fees, a portion of that gets burnt every single transaction. A portion of ETH gets burnt, gets taken out, out of circulation, like gone from existence. Doesn't ex so what we're actually going to see is some disinflationary pressure on ETH as an asset. It literally becomes more scarce every time Ethereum is used. 2021, burn. 2022, bend. This is our last B. Okay, yeah, you're going to so, have to sell me on this one. I don't know what bend right. means. Bend. So it's just because it's a third B, David. Honestly, I was going to use yeah. reduce, but like we got bend. Okay, so what we're doing is we're bending issuance. That is where Ethereum reduces its issuance from about four and a half percent to one percent, and that could even go disinflationary if we're able to burn more ETH every year. So that happens when the proof of work system 
merges with the proof of stake system. ETH1 merges with ETH2, and then all of the issuance in order to power the economic security of proof of work gets cut off, is no longer needed. And the more efficient economic security of proof of stake kicks in fully and you get something close to 1% issuance. So those three things, 2020, we saw the bond. 2021, we're going to see the burn. And in 2022, we're going to see the bend of Ethereum issuance. I think that is a narrative that maybe has legs, the three Bs, but is certainly helpful to understand the asset roadmap for Ether moving forward. Guys, this has been a fun roll-up to do with you. Of course, risks and disclaimers, none of this was financial advice. Crypto is risky. ETH is risky. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but thanks for joining us. Of course, this is the frontier. We are on the journey and we're glad to have you with us. Thanks a lot.